Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. I'm Loni Garcia. Um, I'm reading from Job this morning, chapter 1, verse 13 through 22. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen are plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for preserving this story for us. Help us to see your presence and love in all things, even when it seems our world is collapsing around us. Open our hearts and our minds now to the message that you have called Tom to share with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. morning. How's everybody? I'll come back to that message in a minute, okay? Got something I'm going to tie into that. My name is Tom Smith. I'm uh, Filling in for Pastor Joel, it's a great privilege to do that. He's away on vacation, a much-deserved vacation. And I'm filling in for him today and uh, sharing the Word of God with you and uh, sharing a message which I hope will bless your heart and, and will uh, lead you and guide you and take you to another higher level in your, in your life. Um, one of the things that I have to do, though, is I have to uh, test your long-term memory. Amen. All right, you got it. That's how I get my amens. When I take a little drink, I get an amen, all right? So <laughs> give that man a root beer barrel or something back there, all right? Well, <clears throat> I try to open with something a little bit lighter, and so I'm going to today. Um, I did get uh, a text kind of implying that I shouldn't do that, uh, you know, and uh, I traced it and sent a ping back and went back to the server, and I found out it was Nelson that sent it to me, you know, okay. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't really. But, I do, but this, this does have a point, believe it or not. And I saw this on Facebook this week. I thought it was really, really appropriate in a sense. Um, story goes like this. There's a, uh, um, there are three animals that uh, 
pass on and go over the Rainbow Bridge and go to Pet Heaven, wherever that is, all right? And it was a uh, German Shepherd, and it was a Doberman and a cat. So the, uh, the German Shepherd uh, got there, and the Lord spoke to him and said, so tell me why you should be here. He said, because I believe in training, I believe in discipline, and I believe in obedience. Well, welcome, you can sit right here. The Doberman then, he spoke to the Doberman, he said, uh, he said, why should you be here? He says, I believe in devotion, I believe in determination, I believe in protection. Okay, you may sit here. And he said, cat, what do you believe? The cat looked at him and said, I believe you're in my seat. <laughs> now, you know, that's kind of funny, but it, it kind of rang a little bit in my, in my, in my ears as I was reading that, because, you know, sometimes don't we think God's in my seat? Don't we sometimes, by our mannerisms and the way we handle life and things like that, say, you know, God, I think you're in my seat, because it's really not the way it's supposed to be. So this week, I'm going to speak on a scripture from First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Nelson, if you could put that up there. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will for you in Christ Jesus. Very short, very to the point, isn't it? But it's just loaded. It's loaded with things that perhaps we don't like too much. It's loaded with orders. It's loaded with, in the Greek, imperatives. You notice there's no softening around those words. There's nothing that, that makes it a little bit cushy. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Those are pretty absolute, aren't they? And they're pretty straightforward. And our human side says, um, okay, how? How do, you, how do you make these things happen? How do you... How do you how do you accomplish those things? So we're going to talk about that today. You know, I was reminded that the, the military has many types of orders. Any military folks in here, former military? Thank you for your service. Appreciate that. And uh, one type of order is called a standing order. A standing order. And a standing order is defined as always in force and establishing uniform procedures. Always in force in establishing uniform procedures. That scripture is always in force and establishes uniform procedures for the people of God. Those are standing orders. They don't get changed. They don't vacillate. They don't get adjusted. They don't get modified based on the circumstances. That is the way it's supposed to operate. So I came across a quote by... Pastor James Denny of Scotland, and he called them the standing orders of the gospel because they apply to every Christian in every situation. Every Christian, every situation. And somehow we think that somehow they don't apply in some situations. Somehow we think that perhaps this situation is too difficult, too hard, too severe. This won't apply here. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. God says it's God's will for you to apply those three orders, those three things in your life. The, uh, 
the Greek could translate it continually rejoice, continually pray, continually give thanks. Those are, that's the tense of the verb that we're talking about here. So we have our orders, but it seems we would probably prefer it to say something like, um, it would be good if you did this. Or um, you'll be blessed if you do this. Or it will go well with you if you do this. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says this, this, and this. And somehow it makes us bridle a little bit. It makes us kind of clench our teeth, perhaps. Carl Vodders says this. He says, I never heard anyone complain that Christians act too much like Jesus. Even the hardest, angriest, most anti-God atheist will complain that the problem with Christians is we don't act enough like Jesus. We don't act enough like Jesus. You know, and if we were praying continually, if we were rejoicing always, and if we were a, a thankful people, I think probably those, even those hard atheists would lose their claim against us, wouldn't they? This is a great challenge, isn't it? We'd probably prefer rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, give thanks when you feel like it. I don't know about you, but that's the way I am sometimes. You know, I give thanks when I remember to give thanks. I pray many times when I'm feeling the urgency of prayer upon me, right? And I give thanks when I remember to give thanks. Always, continually, in all circumstances. The, but, the bottom line truth is we sure don't like to be told what to do, do we? We don't like, it seems like even if it's God, right? This isn't new. You know, the Jews were called stubborn and stiff-necked. It's part of the human condition, isn't it? You know, we just, we just tend to just not be happy when somebody is kind of telling us what to do or how to do it. So it's something we have to do battle with. But here's the truth. The real gospel will be seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, when we can't think of a reason to be thankful that's when the world around us will discover if our Christianity is the real deal or not. You see, because it's just not you and you. It's you and them. It's you and us. It's people around us. And so, when Paul writes this, he says, there are people watching. There are people testing the faith that you profess. They're testing the waters. They're testing to see if the faith that you profess is the real deal. And I've often wondered about that. I've often wondered about, in my meltdowns, you ever, who's ever had a meltdown? Come on. Come on. Okay, all right. In your meltdowns, I've often wondered, whose faith did I just damage? because I'm supposedly a, a believer in Christ and because I'm supposedly this person who has spoken for the Lord. But in my weakness, I have those moments and I wonder, how was that received? So, the truth is, one of our first points here, is that when Jesus enters a life, 
He changes it from the inside out so that we can have both the power and desire to rejoice, pray, and give thanks even in the worst moments of life. You can't do it. I can't do it. When we come into those circumstances, those situations, in those worst moments, that's when the power comes from the inside out, not the outside in. It comes from Jesus dwelling within you, the Holy Spirit residing in you, who will help you in that moment deal with that situation, that person, that unruly sales clerk, whatever it happens to be, that teenage child who's heading their own way, shall we say? We've all had them, haven't we? But you see, this is the life-changing power of Jesus. The Greek here is the word metamorpho. It means more than change. It means transformed. It means completely different, unrecognizable from the original. Think about that for a minute. Unrecognizable from the original. So here's a question for you. I ask a few questions. But first, appreciate it. How much do you spiritually look like you used to look? How much do you spiritually look like you used to look? Well, those who haven't seen you in a while say you, you're different. You sure are different now. When you're facing a stressful situation, what do your family and your onlookers say? See, do they see just you or do they see Jesus in you? That's really important. We want people to see Jesus in us. We, I, I don't want them to see me. I'm, I'm a mess. But Jesus is helping transform me. Jesus is helping me through that process of sanctification, become better. My wife sometimes says, Tom Smith, you're a good man. I said, don't say that. said, I'm a man being made good. There's a big, big, big difference. A man being made good. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you won't fail. But you're willing to follow the process and go through the process. So let's take a look at our first standing order. Our first standing order. Rejoice always. Yes, it says always. It says always. Here's what the message says. Be cheerful no matter what happens. Holman Bible says rejoice always. NLB says be full of joy all the time. And the Phillips translation says be happy in your faith all the time. See, the first proof of the gospel's power for other people is what they see in us. And what they see in us in these tough times. See, for every argument a preacher may make, for every song a wonderful musician may sing, none of it has the impact of seeing a believer in Jesus go through the circumstances and not lose their joy. Now, notice I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It comes and goes, it ebbs, it flows, it's up, it's down, it's all over the place, right? 
But joy is an underlying underpinning. It's a foundation. It's something you stand on because it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit, everything to do with the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And you, you don't lose your joy. You might surrender it, but you don't lose it. Had a favorite poet in my life one time. I used to read a lot of his poetry. His name was Edgar Guest. And he wrote a poem that I've read many times since. And it's called, I'd Rather See a Sermon. I'd Rather See a Sermon. You know, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. I'd rather see somebody's life speaking. The Quaker folks always talk about, let your life speak. And our life does speak. The question is, what is the message? What message is being shared? What message are you broadcasting and you sending out? You see, because joy is in you. Jesus said so in this scripture. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. My joy may be in you so that your joy. You notice where it comes from? It's the, it's the living water that's pouring into your life that then flows out to others. It's that river of joy that comes through you, not from you. It comes through you because of your relationship. It works from the inside out. You see, joy doesn't depend on whether you have a job or a paycheck or how your friends treat you. It doesn't depend on the health, your health, the state of your marriage, how your children are doing. Even less does it depend on who's in the White House, right? Joy doesn't depend on any of those things. Those things are all outside in, not inside out. Those are all circumstances. Your happiness probably is going to be affected by those things. And you will have emotional challenges because of those things. But does that change the fact that you're saved? Does that change the fact that you have an eternal home? Does that change the fact that you have a God who loves you, who cares about you, who wants the best for you? Does that change any of those things? I don't think it does. You know, uh, I have to be careful here because I have a, a friend here who, is, who's a, who, uh, who reads Greek and does really good things with Greek. He shall remain nameless. But entheos is the root of enthusiasm. Entheos, God within, is the root of enthusiasm. Then enjoy, or enkara, the Greek word for joy, would seem to have the same application, wouldn't it? Joy within us. Joy within us. Hmm. You see, when we become part of Christ, he becomes part of us. You can't separate the two. We are together. We are one. His spirit and ours. Had a poem I used to put over my desk. It was by uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson. And it said, speak to him, for thou he hears. 
Spirit to spirit you meet. Nearer is he than breathing and closer than hands and feet. And that used to remind me just of that intimate connection that I have with God through the Holy Spirit. Spirit to spirit you meet. You know, the the word worship itself is uh, from the Old English, meaning worth-ship, W-O-E-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. And it means giving him back his worth. So you see, if you came here today with problems first and foremost in our mind, which we often do, I do it, I was just thinking earlier of a couple of things that I had to, had to take care of, and I had to banish them. I had to intentionally say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to listen to the worship music to bring me closer to God. But it's a struggle, isn't it? To get ourselves in that mindset, to get ourselves in that place. You see, but if we come with problems first and foremost, it's going to affect how lifted up we feel at the end. If you focus on problems instead of a focus on a God that is worthy of worship, your joy is going to be missing. Some of the most joyful experiences in worship I've ever had have been absolutely, what, otherworldly? Just like I wasn't really here. I was somewhere else. But, you know, Psalm 100 says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Don't I like to see that as the key that opens the lock to the gate to his courts? Click. Thanksgiving. Click. Praise. Click. When you are in that moment, in that mode, I believe we step into God's presence much easier and much faster. Professor uh, John Denny has another good word for us here. And it says, let God be great in the assembly of his people. Let him be lifted up as he is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and joy will fill our hearts. If the services of the church are dull, it's because he's been left outside. So when people are praising the Lord... When people are joyous, God's in the building. God's here. So don't restrict the joy. Don't restrict your praise. Now, I have a friend who who doesn't like putting hands up, you know? But at times I've watched him do this. I've watched him do this, you know? And eventually he'll probably do this. And maybe sooner or later, he'll look around and he'll say, it's okay. You know? But that's okay. It's progress, isn't it? It's moving toward freedom and worship. It's moving toward allowing the joy of God to indwell you. It's a, it's, it's, it's a cool thing to see. It really is. You know, some Christians think they have a, a sacred duty to be gloomy. We sometimes hear about Christians who are baptized in vinegar and weaned on a dill pickle. You know? (laughs) 
and they go through life acting like smiling is a sin and laughter is an abomination. I can't be in that kind of a church. I want people smiling because they have the joy of the Lord in the house of the Lord today. MK let us singing, right? That's what we want. A couple of scriptures for this. I don't think I gave these to, uh, to Nelson. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine. When we present our faith as dull and boring, and we're just another boring religious person, you know, isn't that what a lot of people think? Do you guys ever have fun? I mean, I mean, what happens in there? Do you ever, I mean, do you just sit around like this all the time and chant? What do you do? You know? I wish they could feel the joy. That's why we have to have them come, right? So they can experience that. Second order. The second order. Is? I guess we'll go to the third order. I'm just kidding. Do we have anybody on the board back there? Okay, I guess we do. The second door, there it is. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You've read this several times in the Bible. It's in several places. Never stop praying. Pray all the time. Of the three standing orders, this is the one that causes the most problems for a lot of people. It really does. What's it mean to pray without ceasing? Should every thought and every word be a prayer directed to the Lord? The short answer is yes. Yes. Your words should be edifying, right? Your words should be blessings. Your words should be uplifting. They're not always, mine aren't either. But think of every word as a prayer. Think of everything that you put out as something that is going somewhere. If prayer is viewed broadly, then life ourself is a prayer, isn't it? That's one part of the answer. It means praying often in a deliberate fashion, but it means staying connected with the Lord throughout the day. Sometimes we compartmentalize prayer, don't we? It's time to pray, and then the next urgent situation, I better pray, right? Or you come back to home, home and you're saying grace, well, we better pray. And it's almost like prayer is these little slotted things in between life. But how hard is it to be constantly praying? You know, there's, who's familiar with something called breath prayers? Breath prayers. Breath prayers are very simple. It means it's, it, you breathe in and you address the Lord. Dear Lord, help me. Father, show me. How about if you did that all day long? How about if you did that when your coworker wasn't exactly co-working, if you know what I mean? And you said, dear Lord, help me deal with this. You know, I read recently that even the word Yahweh refers, refers to breath. Yah, yeah, way. Interesting, isn't it? You know, that even our breath, even our very breath is prayer. So how about being on video chat with God 
24 hours a day. You're just like on video chat with him. You know, pretend it's your, your grandkids or whatever. You're on FaceTime. You're just video chatting with God off and all, all day long. A lot of times I'll do it when I'm working. I'll, I'll just, I'll, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll start singing. Sometimes it's a hymn. That's a form of a prayer. Uh, we used to have a sign in our house that, because my wife loves to sing, um, it said, um, she who sings, she who sings prays twice. Even, so even singing, even the music was a, was a prayer. Corey Tenboom, who was a wonderful, wonderful, powerful Christian lady and teacher, asked a question to us. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Your steering wheel or your spare tire? That's a good image, isn't it? Is it something that is driving your life and steering your life, or is it something you go back for when there's an emergency and a crisis and put that spare tire on? We're to pray consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, persistently. Once, if you think that's too much, think about a day without God, thought of God. Think about a day when you've gone through the day and you thought, wow, I didn't connect to it all day. How'd you feel? How'd you feel? Irritable? Short-tempered? Confused? Frustrated? Weary? And what happens when you have a day when you're going through the day with God? Don't you feel empowered? Don't you feel strengthened? Don't you feel encouraged? So really, we have a choice. We can reframe our thinking and our mind to Send us in that direction where we're having this ongoing conversation with God all day, or we can go without him. I think I'd prefer to go with him. I think I'd prefer to have God with me all those times. Colossians 4.2 says this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves to prayer. An alert mind, a thankful heart. Notice three words. Devote, alert, and thankful. Devotion. Devo what, if you're devoted to something, how does that look? What's that look like if you're devoted to something? Don't you spend a lot of time with something you're devoted to? And an alert mind means you're really conscious of what you're doing. You're really, really focused on what's at hand. And there's that word thankful again, with a thankful heart. Be thankful that you have the ability to share these things and pray with God. So I gotta go one more time to the bottle. Gotta hit the bottle one more time. All right, thank you. I wanna read this. This is from an autobiography about George Muller. George Muller was, lived in the 1800s. He was a Christian preacher, educator, and philanthropist who lived in England. He established and directed a series of homes for orphans, schools for children. Eventually, he cared for more than 10,000 children in his lifetime. Such efforts cost money, but Muller Miller decided early on he would not draw a salary for himself, would not go into debt, and wouldn't even ask people for money. He just decided to, can you guess it? What do you think he decided to do? Pray. 
That's all he did. He prayed. That's right. He determined he would share his needs only with God. When funds were low, he and his staff prayed. When needs were met, they prayed. When people asked about their needs, Miller simply said a belief that God would provide. He kept careful accounts not only to guide his praying, but also as an aid to greater faith. His autobiography is a record of constant prayer and repeated last-minute answers. The following is typical. Nothing has come in. At 6 o'clock this evening, our need was very great in the orphan houses and the day schools. I prayed with two of the laborers. We needed some money to come in before 8 o'clock tomorrow morning so that we could buy milk for breakfast. Our hearts were at peace. We felt assured the Father would supply. We had scarcely risen from our knees when I received a letter containing a sovereign for the orphans. About five minutes later, a brother promised to give me 50 pounds next week. A quarter of an hour after that, a brother gave me another sovereign, which a sister in the Lord had left for the orphans. How sweet and precious it is, is to see the willingness of the Lord to answer prayers of his needy children. Another time, Muller and the children sat down for a meal. Even though there was no food in the house, nonetheless, they bowed their heads and prayed. And as the prayer ended, someone knocked on the door. It was the baker with extra fresh bread. And if that wasn't enough, the milkman's cart broke down in front of the orphanage. So he supplied them with fresh milk. Muller, his staff, and children lived on daily prayer and cultivated it day by day, even hour by hour, dependence on God. And their needs were met. Muller's ministry grew, and the needs grew. And so did God's provision. Isn't that a wonderful story? Isn't that wonderful testimony to the provision of God? But that was for him. Oh, really? Why wouldn't he do it for you? Why wouldn't he be the God who sends that unexpected refund check in the mail about the time something is about to be canceled? Who's ever experienced that? Just put your hands up. All of a sudden, you had God's provision happen last minute. A lot of hands going up around. It's a beautiful thing to see, isn't it, when that happens? Let's take a look at the final standing order. Be thankful in every circumstance. Wow. That expression, in every circumstance, is hard. It's hard. We know that we should give thanks when things are going well, right? We know that. It is right and good to praise God. We shouldn't take our blessings for granted or think that we somehow deserve them. But if you only give thanks when you have money in the bank, when your marriage is good, when the deal goes through and the doctor says you don't have cancer, or when your kids are doing well and when the church is growing, when your friends are glad to see you, if that's the only time you give thanks, what are you going to do when trouble comes? What are you going to do when trouble comes? We have to remember that thankfulness is to God who's in control, the God who's sovereign in the universe, the God who can handle any circumstance. Not always the way we want them to, right? Not always answering the way we expect. But I've always been able to say, God was there. God was there with me. So the question is, what are you going to do when the company downsizes? 
when you lose a job, when your retirement fund loses a big chunk of its value. When a marriage collapses, when the daughter gets pregnant, out of wedlock, cancer returns, your friends don't show up. In those, in life's hard moments, we must return to God, whose love for us never changes. In those hard moments, his love doesn't change. We must return to God. I've said this so many times. How do people do it without God? How do people get through it without Christ? And the answer is, they don't, not very well. And I just have to realize that all I can do is just be the example to them. All I can do is just show Christ to them. All I can do is that in the midst of difficulty, tragedy even, my God will take care of me. My God will answer. My God, my God will be there for me and with me. See, that's what I have to do. I have to go back to God in those moments. It doesn't mean that you won't grieve. It doesn't mean that you won't have difficulty or pain or discouragement. But you've got some place to go. You've got God who loves you so much that you can't even imagine how big that love is. And he is there, and he's going to be with you and comfort you through whatever you're going through. You know, when I was flying back from New York a while back, it was cloudy the whole way, the entire trip. We got up above it, and it was sunny, sunny, sunny. Went back down, dropped into, into, down into TRI. And underneath the clouds, I mean, I kept thinking, we're going to hit the ground. I mean, because we kept going down through clouds and down through clouds and down through clouds. And there was a little break in the middle and finally we got down the ground. And I breathed a sigh of relief. We, we landed. And I thought, isn't life like that? You know, we, we, we're always, sometimes we're in the cloud bank, aren't we? And we can't see anything. We don't have any guidance system except the Bible. The Bible becomes our navigation tool through this time. Clouds of dark circumstance. We think sometimes God's not with us. He's always with you. That's a promise. You, you can take that. You can't take that to the bank, but you can take it somewhere. I freely admit that often things happen to us that make no sense. Try as we might, we can't find God's hand sometimes in the circumstance. But you see, God paints on a canvas much larger and further reaching than we can see. He, he has things that he has created coming for us that we don't even have a clue are coming. So how do we give thanks when our hearts are broken? How do we give thanks when we're confused? How do we give thanks when we're angry at what sin has done to the world? Here's the answer. Standing order. Just do it. Remember at the beginning? There were no disclaimers. There were no waivers. There were no softeners. It simply said this, this, and this. Just do it. You see, obedience 
is the answer. In those moments when you don't feel like doing it, you don't exactly understand why to do it, God says, just do it. Just do it. Just, just follow my order. Nowhere does God say it's going to be easy. Nowhere does God say it's going to be simple. He just says in those times, just do it. By giving thanks when we don't feel like it, we're proclaiming that God's wisdom is greater than ours. By giving thanks when we don't feel like it, we're saying, God, your wisdom is greater than ours. Eugene Peterson captures verse 18 this way. Thank God, no matter what happens, this is the way God wants you to belong to Christ, you who belong to Christ to live. No matter what happens, thank God. So how do, what's that look like? How, how do you thank God? Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. Really bad stuff sometimes happens to really good people. So how? There's no escaping this while we live in this planet. No one gets a free ride through life. Behind every smiling face, there's a story. Even the happiest people know their share of sorrow. And some people seem to receive more than their share. We'll never be able to give thanks always without the Holy Spirit's help. Left to ourselves, the pain of life would make us bitter people, angry people. But with God in the equation, when we trust in his sovereignty, then and only can, then can we say, thank you, Lord, no matter what happens around us, to us. We can say, thank you, Lord. We don't have to understand. See, that was the cat saying, I believe you're in my seat. We don't have to understand. We don't have to feel like we have a, a handle on everything. We simply have to say, thank you, God. I know you're a good God. I know you love me. Those are two absolute truths. And so I can let rest in that. I don't have to go anywhere else than that. So the will of God for your life, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. His will is more about being than doing. Being than doing. We like to think, well, God, show me what you want me to do. No, God says, I'm showing who I want you to be. The rest will all work out. I'm showing you that I want you to be a person who is rejoicing was praying, was thankful. Three standing orders applied is what the will of God in Christ Jesus is for you. In whatever circumstance we face, if we follow orders, we're going to gain understanding of how we're to navigate life. The final thought here. When times are tough, if you can still rejoice in God, if you can still pray, if you still give thanks, then you got the real thing. You got the real thing. 
in those moments, in those times of your life, you got the real thing. Because you see, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's God in you. Peter said, God in you, the hope of glory. So, if I could have the, the musicians come back up, close this out today. I want to encourage you tonight, today, tonight, it's not tonight, today. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to let this message really occupy your thinking. Let this message about praying and being thankful and rejoicing affect the way your life is and the way that you live your life and the way that people see your life. You see, life's a struggle. We're always going to have hard times. We're always going to go through difficulties. We're always going to have those unexpected things happen. And you see, we have an answer for that. We have a solution for that. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Pray continually. Give thanks for what God has done for you in the past. He'll do it again. If you are struggling right now, if you're in a difficult place in life, if you have a a hard time right now, it's okay. You're not alone. God is with you. And he's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of that. So, I want to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a, a faith life of your own, it's simple. It's just you and Christ. It's just you and the Lord getting together and asking him to do what you can't do, to fill in those places that you can't take care of, asking him to forgive you, asking him to redeem you. He will. It's as simple as that. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.